the, the idea has been boiled down even further to does the fire service, does a career in the fire service after 20, 30 years, do you end up more pessimistic or more optimistic when you come out the other side? Does the fire service change your, your, the way you look at life? And that's either in how you approach risk in your in your non-fire, you know, in your normal life. Does it change how you... No, you, this is going to be where you can talk. <laughs> Does it change how you communicate? I find myself very, very... I want you to tell me, tell me what you want. I don't want to hear all the fluff. It, it's, I compare it to, and this is what we need to talk about, but being on the radio. When we're communicating over the radio on a fire scene, I need to know it as give it to me as fast and as succinct. Yes, I, and I tell me what I need. That's good Look on that the fire ground. But, I, but when we're talking to our wives, we shouldn't do that. But I, I find myself on the phone with my wife in the middle of doing something else. Just the wife facts, calls, just the facts. and I'm like, "Sweet, what Sweet, do you I need? need you to, yeah, tell me what you need. I need you to do this. Okay, I will take care of that. But." It ends Maybe. up damaging. I just want to be heard. It's, well, really, that's what she didn't want yeah. me to take care of anything. She just wanted me to listen. She doesn't need to be rescued. She just has to be heard. Right. So, but ha- I don't remember being like that 20 years ago. Mm, I'm pretty sure you were. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's that was the idea for, for another subject was, do you end up more pessimistic or optimistic after a career in the fire service? After what you see and experience over... A career. He's mad now. Yep, he's frustrated. No, I'm not. I'm he's, I think he's pessimistic. I think <laughs> that there's no right answer. I well, think that it's entirely whole... too subjective to say one way or the other. I think ultimately you come in and you are who you are, and yeah, you're probably changed somewhat, but when you come out the other end, I think basically you are who you are. But has that has that you who you are who you are has that not changed? Yeah, I think some, but I think the core of who you are is still. Well, and there. this is a very this is a very. If, you, if I am naturally example. an optimistic person, so I don't think, do think that this is going <laughs> to. I think the career come out the end is definitely. I, I agree with them to an extent, but I think the career in the fire service is really going to exacerbate your personal traits. If you come in the fire service as a glass is half empty kind of guy. I think you may leave it as a glass is not only half empty, it's probably going to get knocked off and going to break. Right. <laughs> and and dependent on your experiences in the fire service, I mean, it definitely desens- it desensitizes you to a lot of stuff. Um, I find myself, you know, desensitized a lot. You know, funerals and this, and even with family, I mean, it's it's horrible. But you know, you're you're waiting for that one catastrophic event. We're all like the. But see, do you do you find yourself desensitized in just normal life? So are we going there? We're going. My wife will will say this is an important problem, and I end up and I'm like, not really. No, this isn't. Nobody's going to die. This is not a yeah, you know. Not, not all important things are absolutely. Well, and, but I mean, it, it, you, that's where I, I think we have to be you careful. Get desensitized to what what is an emergency? Well, it's what no, this person I thinks I don't it think is. It's you're getting desensitized. I think we might be losing. The passion? No, no, no. This is going to be a fleeting thought here, so I have to be careful. You're losing the fact that although you might not think it's important, she does think it's important. So if she thinks it's important, then give it a little bit of weight. You don't have to voice that it's a stupid thing or whatever the case may be. I just... 
Just for the record, I never said it was a stupid no, no. thing, sweetie. Paul, he never said that. <laughs> I see what you're saying. We, we do crisis management, and so the whole time, right. all we're doing is we're putting that in a priority level, and, and, and the way we sort it is different than how others sort it. Right. And so basically, we're like, all right, I'm But we have to remember that it doesn't make it less important to that individual. But the fire service has done that to us. We have gotten better at doing that the longer we're in this. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I think you end up changing as you spend time in the fire service to where... Uh, you but know. I can see that where that's also a strength. You know, you come into a situation and people are like, "All right, uh, I don't really know what we're going to do." We, we don't ever know what we're going to do, but we figure it out before the wheels right. of the truck stop moving. We're like, "All right, we're going to do this, and then we're going to adjust the plan until it fits." Right, right. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people don't really approach problems that way anymore. They they're like, "Let's have a committee and do a focus group." Sure, <laughs> we don't do that. Well, you don't have to strip, Let me say something or ask you something. Uh, talking about how you come in and we're desensitized to this. Uh, Environment, or we get that way, you know. You, Who you, is Stroop, by the way? I'm just kidding. Well, yeah, this is, this is, this is Captain we, Stroop. At some point, we do. Have we'll to. get to that in a minute. <laughs> right now, it's not important, Stroop. My point is, is right there. You would think like that if you followed that thought process about the desynthesis, say the If you follow that, then you, you would ultimately would lose compassion. But I know that you have not lost compassion for individuals because you're mm-hmm. able to know when and when not to use it. Right. You know, sure. so the the default would be, oh, you know, if you get beat up in this job, you just lost compassion. Yeah, see, I kind of agree with mm-hmm. that as well because I think I've matured through my time and I've actually gotten better at being compassionate and looking at different... Wow. Um, I know it doesn't look like it when you see things I do, but I'm actually thinking a lot. I just you got to turn the turtle over. <laughs> I mean, the Thor in me you know comes out from time to time, drops the hammer on lots of people, but you know I do actually spend a lot of time thinking about it. Whereas before, I just kind of haphazardly, you know, it didn't uh, if, matter. if you don't see the way I see it, then you know I don't care right. about you. But as you move up, you have to engage these individuals you got or how you mature as you mature right 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 so i I think i've actually gone the other way is that a function engaging more and more people and being compassionate and understanding that you need those people is that a function of you rising in a leadership role because most leaders have to get to the point where they understand that there's i'm not a leader if i don't have people that are willing to follow follow me. me right yeah yeah and they don't have to follow me Right. They exactly. choose to follow me, so I've got to make sure that they that I keep them engaged and that they keep wanting to follow. I me. think good leaders, yeah. I think a lot of leaders get to the concept of uh, they're going to follow me or else, and I think that's, well, that's a poor choice. Yeah, that's, uh, but yeah, I think because leadership. of my leadership leadership position and in growing through the fire service and maturing, that I did get to that point where you know they have the concept of. You're not a leader if nobody's following you. And how do you get them to follow you? And not everybody's motivated the same way. You know, and so right. I spend time thinking about it. I know it doesn't seem like it. Sorry, people who've been on the receiving end of some of that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it does come with a leadership position. If I had chosen just to stay, you know, maybe as a firefighter, nothing wrong with that. You know, there's great firefighters out there. Um, it's it. I probably wouldn't have had that same concept. Maybe not. I don't know. Right. What do you think, Trish? I'm just kidding. Well, no, I mean, he, yeah, no. All Five right. words or less. Five, I, I'm, Can't happen. I'm being very careful. <laughs> okay, all right, moving on. Be well, but I mean... All right, we can't have a lull here. All right, no, we can't have a lull. 
Go ahead. Where are you asking how we tape? We've been taping the whole time. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was just wondering how my hour started. We just started. So yeah, we, we just started. So we just started. The new app started. So you can just kind of get okay. used oh, to seeing what this is. It's a great format. It's not just for now. One, two, three, go. It's good. Welcome to Combustible, the podcast. The most unorganized podcast. Joined our program in progress. Uh, around the table, we've got Shane Dobson, Mike Hatcher, Pavel Troche, Captain Scott Stroop, and Bill Voorhees. Uh, Stroop's our guest this week. You might have seen a video of him uh, catching a child. What? It's on our page. If, uh, somebody right. hasn't okay. seen it and wants to take if, a look at yeah, it. Yeah, I, I was kind of saying that sarcastically. In the event that you haven't seen it, it's available. Um, we, at our department, we got calls from media outlets in Russia, Australia, Laos. I mean, it, it literally was all over the world. And uh, we thought it was a good opportunity to sit down with him. Rightly so. But, um, well, I think we'll leave the other topic alone at this point. I just, I, if you... <laughs> so you, you spend 25, 30 years going on calls... Somebody calls and it, you all and every, half the time you show up and it's just a, a real shit show, right? Okay. You're, you're looking around and you're like, "This is horrible. These people are living in these conditions, or this horrible thing happened to this person, or whatever." That doesn't end up affecting you at the end of your career to where you you see the negative. I mean, we were talking about it. I drive through DeKalb County. And I'm like, I've been in that basement. I've been over there. He's he's going, yeah, we got shot at right there at that quick trip, you know. I mean, does that not end up making you more pessimistic in your view? I think for me, it's personally how you process it. I, you know, I watch television and I see terrible things. You know, people blowing up in war movies. I don't, I don't get all involved in it. But and that's a, and that's I a do war this, movie. But that's the same way I kind of look at. Sometimes the fire service, I stay desensitized. I didn't know them before it. I won't know them after the call. Right. You know, so I don't get involved with, you know, well, do their kids like the color or something like that. I'm, I'm not right. emotionally attached to it. It's a call. It's, it's over. I'm moving on to the next one. It's like the next, that's next the TV hard show. part that the public probably and not doesn't understand about us. Our, our detachment right. from it. You know, when they see us it out sounds there, cold. It does. You know, when they see us out there, we're hugging and smiling and talking to each other. It's not because we're happy about what just happened. We may not have seen each other in a while, right. and it's... It's that family atmosphere that we do have engagement with each other, but the situation we're detached. As soon as it's over, it, and a lot of for a lot so, of us, it's over in our head. So it's true. Do it. It's true. Well, unfortunately, I think I do it the exact same way. Boom! Little fist bump there. So, Stroop, you caught a kid, dropped about twenty feet. Which I want to just talk about the mechanics of that for just a second. We did. Are we getting to math right now? Yeah, we, we are. We are going to do a little did, bit did of we math. Truly confirmed our we, math. Well, so here's the thing. There's a, there's a thing on the internet. If you want to figure out how much something weighs after falling a certain distance, oh you have to know the weight of the object, the distance it fell, and then, the science guy. and then the distance the that you arrest the weight in. We figured about two feet was what you ended up arresting little. by the time, you know, from the contact to when you had the, the child stopped. It was the floor of the third floor balcony, so about 20 feet. And we guessed at the weight, anywhere from 20, 30, or 40 pounds. And what you end up with, I'm sorry, 30, 40, or 50 pounds, you end up with 330, 440, or 550 pounds. Of oh, that initial force. That, that, that you caught. 
So we're kind of saying 440 is the average that we think is, is that amount of weight. So you catch this kid, 440 pounds, it hurts your, your shoulder, your knees. Uh, there's a lot going on in this fire. Uh, and the fire, we, we were on scene for another five hours, I think, before the last unit left. There was active firefighting for the next hour after the, the rescues. Right. And talking to you afterwards, because I wanted to do this math, Stroop, how, how big was that kid? How it, and what did you end up telling me? To be honest with you, I, I didn't know how big the child was. I couldn't tell you if it was male, female. If the child was injured, if not, I mean, and it was just one of those things in the moment. There were so many things going on, and this scene was just so dynamic, and that's what we were talking about was situational awareness. Right. Um, after this ground ladder was placed, I mean, I honestly, I mean, I made eye contact with the father, and I honestly didn't know what what was going to happen, um, if the child was going to be thrown, if somebody was going to fall in transition to the ladder. Um, and it just, it, it just so happened that, you know, it was there at the right moment and, uh, thank goodness everything worked out. Right. But there was, there was video last week where they took you to the station and the family was brought in and you got to meet the family and actually interact with them. But I think the reason I bring all that up is that we were just talking about that disconnect. We handled the call and then we're gone. Right. And where Shane said, you know, the, the public doesn't think that way. And this is actually a, an instance where we, we actually kind of tried to foster that, mm-hmm. that idea that, you know, there is this connection. When in reality, you didn't, you know, because of the scene and, and how chaotic it was, you, do, you don't process that stuff. It's, I've handled this piece of this scene, I'm on to the next. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that. Anyway. What do we want to talk to him about catching the kid? Come on. Oh, I mean, after we do the math class and stuff? We've done math class. We're out of math class. We're out of talking about... For the listener, I can assure you I've known Scott for at least 10 years, and I've never seen a more confused look on his face while Bill is retelling all the math and logistics of how this is going to work and how he's going to catch a kid. I mean, it's like explaining how helicopters can't fly. He shouldn't have been able to catch this kid. And he did an amazing thing. So I just, I just love that look on Scott's face. Like, is this going to end? Is this going to end? <laughs> Is you can ask me a mathematical equation yeah. that I cannot answer. And, and did you, did what's you, the square yeah, root of the coefficient of what I just said? Did you plant your feet on the ground according to how much you thought the weight was going to be? Well, see, and, that, and this is the other thing about this whole situation. You know, and it, just recently I had, there was a, a chief, um, I'm not going to mention any names, but just very distraught over this whole incident of me catching this child that she was concerned that um, people were going to start throwing children off balconies now because it's been sensationalized throughout the media outlets that firemen heroically catch his child. That's an interesting point. And, and, That's a very interesting and point. Here's the, here's the thing that, that I wanted to adamantly say. You know, I've, I've said this before. I said we, and I actually said this during one interview, um, that as a firefighter, you know, we're trained to get people on the ladders. We're trained to take people down ladders. Um, at no point in your career are you pulled aside by an instructor to say, hey, look, when they throw a child, you're supposed to stand 
three feet back to allow for windage um, and, <laughs> and catch the child, you know, with the arm under for the shoulder. it's 10, yeah, arms, ten pounds of acceleration. That's the class that Bill gives. We may have to put that in the academy. That's, well, that's the but thing. in all seriousness, you got questions about that. Yeah, we I have did. thumb rules for pump problems. You think they're going to figure this one out? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's that's the thing is I didn't I didn't, you know, arrive on that scene and see that family trapped on that balcony and think, well, y'all just jump into my arms. Right. Um, that would, that was the furthest thing from my from my mind right there. But you know, when the screaming and you know just the the sheer pain and the volume of fire that was on that family, um, you know, and I, I can't tell you. I mean, that was just instinct and you know just something right there. You know, like I, I can't say this enough on the fire ground. Um, situational awareness. Do not. I mean. Don't get locked in on one certain thing. You've got to keep your head on a swivel and be looking for, you know, what could happen, what's going to happen, you know, things of that nature. And that's, you know, and then I just looked up and saw that father and saw desperation. And I was like, because you, know. you, you were still getting ready. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't have your helmet yeah. on in the, in yeah, the video. Yeah, I, I was getting ready to mask up, you know, because, you know, like I say, Assistant Chief Crump was, he was still on the backside. He was going around doing his walk around. And, uh, you know, matter of fact, after the child was caught and I'm passing it off, he's, uh, he's given an engine seven an order to get to the back immediately that he's got multiple entrapments and people, people hurt. And yeah. for anybody yes. that doesn't realize it, Chief Crump was first on scene. Mm-hmm. He's doing his walk around. So he hadn't even had time to get out of the car and make a circle of the building while all of this is happening. So draw yes. a picture of the building for us. I mean, if somebody's not watching the video, what are we talking it, about? A multifamily with... How many units? Go ahead, Yeah, these these type of apartments are all over the metro area, all over the nation. Um, and from having exposure to these buildings, it's uh, your typical garden apartment. Um, you have three floors. You have two main breezeways. You have four apartments on each floor um, that's served by one one way in, one way out. To the exterior of the building so if there's any kind of fire and in any apartment um, if a door's left open it's going to fill that entire breezeway mm-hmm. and it's going to trap a lot of people so I knew you know from the receipt of the call I knew the buildings I was like and I told I told my guys I was like y'all get ready this is there's a possibility for a lot of entrapments on this fire and what time of day was it it was early morning I think the First call come in maybe five thirty. Yeah, five thirty. Something in the morning. like that. <clears throat> what was your arrival on the alarm? First, second, third. Um, engine three got or engine three got there right behind car seven. Quint twenty four arrived with engine three, and then I was the next in unit. So when I came in, you know, and there's a lot of radio traffic. Chief was reporting multiple entrapments on the alpha side of the building. Uh, a good fire, and. Uh, I wanted to ensure that, you know, water supply being second in engine. So that's what my driver was actually handling water supply, which left, you know, uh, the other two crew members, myself and my tailboard, Andrew Zawald, available for an assignment. So were you given an initial assignment? Yeah, I was assigned with um, the captain from Quinn 24, uh, Joe Von Carter, asked us to assist with the uh, placement of the 35-foot ground ladder. That, that would have been the second ground ladder that, if anyone's seen in the video, um, Engine 3 had already uh, deployed the 24-foot 
Which, you know, and there again, Bill could probably give us some math. <laughs> the, the, no the math. You can see oh, in the video. It. In the video, it. yeah. it's, it's, it's straight up and down. Right, yeah. right, right. So, <laughs> so that, you know, that ground ladder was a little insufficient for, but you know what? There's firefighters again. Uh, we're given a problem. We adapt. We we use what we got, and, and they were affecting rescues off of that 24-foot ground ladder as I was walking up. So, you know, once that other ground ladder was placed, you know, I was starting to mask up to an await to await an assignment. And that's right there. I mean, you know, we saw a problem that was about to happen and lo and behold. And it was something in the father's eyes. Yeah. That I mean that kind was, of told you that this was what's about to happen. And we're listening to screams. I mean and that's the most uh, you know gut-wrenching thing is, you know, I've been on, you know, multiple fires with entrapments before. I mean, this, unfortunately, I'm, you know, we're no stranger to big fires and a lot, you know, tragic things. But, you know, this, the screaming was just so intense. I have not witnessed something like that in a long time. I want to say something back to your situational awareness and, and how important that is and that the firefighters and everybody that's listening to this keys on this. I think this is important. Because you talked about something when you were coming up there that you and the father locked eyes on one another, and mm-hmm. you weren't sure at that point is he coming down? Is he bring? Is he throwing the baby down? What's fixing to happen here? But the point being, you looked up at him and he looked up at you, and you had enough forethought to think something might happen. Mm-hmm. Imagine that same scenario going forward. You look up at that person and you don't recognize that look and you turn away at the same time that individual thinks you're ready you know what you know what i'm saying so it's important that i think when you just have to consider that that i think that eye contact is actually bigger deal than we may realize i think that eye contact is a big deal and the experience is because you know some of the things that we talked about with this incident this is not new to the cab the cab you know this is something that just the timing was what it was and, and it took off but this is not uncommon for DeKalb County to have these major fires with multiple entrapments and doing this kind of stuff. Um, to the dynamics of what we do are so, it's just such a dynamic event that it'd be easy to sit back and say, well, I would be ready for this, or I would do this, or I would do that, or I would have had this ladder, I would have done the other. Even though you've run it before, this is a new incident. And it's going to require a different type of focus. So I, I, you're 100% right. It may have been I really haven't experienced this or I experienced it in the past, but it wasn't like this. And all I have to do is lose focus for one second. That's my and point. That, that can Imagine just for a moment that you didn't catch what yeah. was happening and you turned away. You, it's a different scenario now. You know? yeah. I'm not saying it would have or wouldn't have happened. My point is, is that the fact that you were able to stay aware of what was going on, the potential of what the was potential. going on, yeah. well, that to, that contact stayed together. To Shane's point, I mean, situation is situational awareness is such a, a key component. So from your experience, what would you do to say that you would help develop situational awareness? You know, if you were giving advice to a newer, newer member, what would that be to help develop their situational awareness? The... The biggest thing ever, and and I try to get in on this at the ground level with the recruit, and it starts from something as simple as advancing a hose line. Um, When I go down to the fire academy and I I have exposure to the recruits, we go down and we go over pulling hose lines. I purposely let them pull the – I'll tell them. I'll say, all right, pull this hose line over here to the 
Bravo side of the house. And I watch them. I watch them pull the hose line. And you know what the firefighter's main focus is, is pulling that hose line, getting it to the Bravo side of the house. So then I asked him, I was like, well, how many windows are on the front side of the house? Uh, and, and you see the light come on. And that's what I tell him. I was like, there's a reason that there's more than one of us on this fire truck. I said, I'm, I'm doing the action plan. I'm getting things going. But as a firefighter, you take in that building. You look around. You're not just... You, we are a time-sensitive, goal-oriented profession. Of course, yes, we need the hose on there. We need it done. But you, as a firefighter, you're looking at the big picture. You're looking at, okay, there's three windows on the top floor. And, oh, guess what? You just see a mom with a kid standing in this middle window. Or, you know, you're, you're looking at the windows and they've got, you know, burglar bars on it. Or, you know, things that you need to know as a firefighter that you need to take in and report, you know, because officers are not perfect. They don't see everything, you know, and that's why I try to try to communicate to the other firefighters as well. You know, notice things, you know, speak up. I feel so, like we should say here at the end of the lesson, like yeah. Sean Connery at the end of the Untouchables. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing about, I think it's, it's practice. Sure. You've got to practice doing it. You know, uh, Chief Green that we interviewed in our third episode uh, spoke about you know his first fire he says all he remembers was orange mm-hmm. and then the next fire he went to it was orange and there's a car in the driveway and the next fire he went to was orange there's a car in the driveway and you know there's a, a kid's toy in the front yard or whatever and building on that that uh, that practice of noticing things and and seeing things and being ready you know Jackie Peckroll uh, one of the other captains on scene also uh, caught up an infant. But from, and I wasn't there, but I've talked to her and her, you know, her, her story was she was climbing the ladder to affect the rescue and just happened to look up and the mom throws the baby at her. What was the name of that one? Uh, we didn't do that one. <laughs> See, but, old, but there were eight, eight <laughs> victims on that balcony when you guys get back there to start throwing ladders. Eight people waiting. The, the father and the kid that gets thrown to you, Stroop, are the last two to come off the balcony. You know, <laughs> there's a there's a lot that's happened. Uh, like you said, dynamic. I talked to Shane after the fire. He he actually went because he was on his way into work and it heard it go out and ended up on scene. And he said it was the most dynamic fire he's been on in his career. You know, so many moving parts and all of it getting done well. That was the, you know, I don't know if you want to talk more about that. <clears throat> well, you know, I don't. I'm not going. I don't want to hijack it, but it was. It was. Uh, Stroop mentioned it earlier about the dynamics of what was going on and it's exactly what was happening. So not only were there serious rescues that needed to take place, balconies, people inside the building, people trying to come out and go back in, uh, wheelbound trapped individual inside the apartment. On top of all that, and once that starts happening, there was a significant firefight that happened for the next, I say more than an hour. Okay. Because... It, should, it just blew me away to see all that went. You know, it's one thing you get there, man, we took care of all these rescues. We knocked three or four people. We got three or four people out, and then we went in there and just kicked it, and it was done. This thing would not give up. We chased that thing all over it's that a building. flat roof? Yeah, that, that right? kind of that mansard style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, it's just... So anyway, I think that's what I was just so proud of and impressed was the fact that 
the rescues happened, which was hard work. That was not; mm-hmm. those weren't easy rescues. On top of that, and then the tremendous work that went into the to the fire ground was just—I'm telling you—it was it was impressive. So, Streep, I want I want to talk. I want to get your your thoughts on the. You said your driver was securing a water supply. You've got your tailboard with you. You come around to the back side of the building. There's all this going on. You're helping another crew throw a 35-foot ladder. And then, you know, somebody's dropping a kid. And that's a very you, you know what I mean? That That's to go back to our untouchables, you know, that the speech about, the you know, baseball. You at the plate. It's you, and that's it. It's your time, you know, that's it. But the rest of the time you're playing, it's a team thing. So for that moment of that scene, you become, it's just me doing something. How do you, as a captain, stay plugged into the the idea that, you know, I've got to get back to thinking of my crew and thinking about how I fit into the larger scene? The tactics. Of it would be very on. easy to get pulled out of that with with what just, you know, what happened catching a kid. Can you... Plus it hurt. Yeah. I think, you yeah. know, and, and to be perfectly honest about it, it, it honestly didn't sink in because it was right after the, the child was dropped and I'm passing off to EMS, Chief Crump is calling for the engine company, my engine, to come around the back to assist with more rescues. So at that moment, that... You know that what just happened was out of my mind. I was immediately thinking, okay, now we got to go around to the back to affect more rescues. Mm-hmm. And as we're leaving, as we're going around to the back side of the building, I'm at the uh, like the Alpha Delta corner of this apartment building, and a, a male breaks out the window on the second floor with heavy smoke rolling over his head, yelling for help right there. I mean, so and that's very. You know, that's a traumatic thing in, it, in itself because, you know, that guy was yelling basically at us as we were walking by him going around to the uh, back side of the building. And I believe Heavy Rescue 24 affected the rescue of that gentleman mm-hmm. via ground ladder. I'm not I'm not sure there was a so, so many heroic efforts, right. you know, performed. by. And that's the other thing is I can't say enough of how proud I am of, you know, we're, we're minimally staffed companies. I mean, this stuff is getting done with three-man engine companies, two-man engine companies, because my engine company, the pump operator, was assisting with water supply. Engine three, his their engineer was doing incredible work. Gary Steck, you know, he's he's kind of a newer member of the department, and he stepped up and he uh, mm-hmm. he got a baptism, you know, uh, by fire that that night. Right. He he went from, you know, a, a novice pump operator to you know he's, you know, he's solid. You know that that really that really earned him a big amount of respect in, in my in my eyes. You know, and ho- hopefully that and that's great for the younger members. They're really stepping up. So yeah, I can't can't say enough of just this all the work that went that went on right there. It seems like there's so much that went on in that event, and we captured this one piece. Sure. That's what we're focusing on, but... Captured by a firefighter, by this Pelican, too. Correct. And, I mean, Clear's Day, it's just phenomenal to catch that video. I wish that we could show all... Of the rescue. The totality of what happened there, because I know the cab, I know the guys that are involved and gals that are involved in this, 
and the effort. We've been for years transitioning decades ago to this coordinated effort, working together as a team on a fire ground. You know, this whole thing that we're trying to capture, and the cat just did a great job at it. And there was a lot of people that did a lot of great things and a lot that could be learned from it. So I hope that this turns into something that we can all actually use. Some people have never been put in this predicament before. So, you know, just that where Stroop is at for that moment, there's a hundred other events happening around them. So it takes mm -hmm. a great deal of focus to stay focused in here when there's fire blowing out of every orifice of the structure, people screaming, people yelling. So as soon as he's done with that, we're so task-oriented. That task is done, is complete. They've been handed off. They're getting care. What's next? Yeah. And before mm -hmm. you get to what may be your preconceived next task, something right. comes up, place. like you know, a window getting taken out and all that. So there's so many dynamics going on that it's almost hard to wrap your mind around everything that's happening on that incident. Yeah, but it ruins relationships, so you got to be careful. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. You know what I was thinking about? Uh, sorry. Uh, you know, the fact that it was, it was caught by a helmet cam and how the, the firefighter became transit, uh, transfixed on what you were doing. Because normally you watch the helmet cam, they're darting around, they're looking at yeah, everything true. as it's going That's on. True. Sure. And he actually zeroes in and watches what happens right. for a good 10, 15 seconds. I mean, he's Absolutely. more or less looking at you. He doesn't even look up at the balcony right. a whole lot. You know, it's not a professional cameraman. He's not really consciously thinking about it's filming. He, he's just watching what you're about to do. That's a good point. And, and that's the other thing is I was like that really, you know, that was Andrew's wall. It's helmet cam that everyone's that everyone's watching, you know, the catch made around the world or whatever, <laughs> you know. And, 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 and again, this is honestly just... What did I say? You're the decabulate uh, yeah, reception. Don't say yeah, it again. It was horrible. It's been overwhelming for me, and I, I honestly, I didn't want to talk about any of this after it, you know, happened. Matter of fact, I, I, I was at home for a, a good week, you know, and I was watching other interviews and all this, and I just, I wanted no part of it. But you know, as as I thought about it and I prayed about it. Um, no fire, no true firefighter really wants his name and his face all over the news. But as I thought of this, I mean, this event was much bigger. This was an opportunity. This was a platform to really highlight what North American firefighters do for the communities. Um, and that's that's the biggest thing I would like to take from this is not Captain Stroop or even the DeKalb County Fire Department, which I'm very proud of the work that we do, but just to have everyone just sit back for a moment and look at the efforts and the things that firefighters do because, yeah, we're not trained to catch children off balconies, but you know what? When a fire truck shows up, there's there's no luxury for us to say, well, the numbers don't match up. We're not going to be able to make this happen. No, firefighters have to figure it out. And that's, that's what I love about my profession is we showed up on the scene. We had insurmountable tasks ahead of us, but guess what? We'll figure out a way, and we'll make it happen. So that's that's the thing that I love about firefighting. Is well, and there's another aspect to this that our, our listeners probably don't know anything about, which is at the time that all of this happened, we had a, a group of guest firefighters in our department that were basically embedded with us for about six months. They'd come from another department halfway around the world, and they had come specifically for... Uh, firefighting experience because they don't necessarily get it in their home department just because of how uh, how good their prevention is over there and, and fire control systems and things like that. So 
they're over here and they're visiting, and you you were actually mentor to one of them um, while they spent their time here. And it was, it, you know, you talk about brotherhood and, and about North, you know, North American firefighting, and I just it it really struck me at what a what an opportunity it was for those those guys to see be here for that. They they weren't on the actual fire because their schedule had them off at that particular time, but they had access to you and to the department while it was happening. They actually had people from their home department calling about the video as soon as, you know, the next day saying, were they on that fire? Were, you know, but they, they had, they had that, um, they got to talk to you about it specifically mm-hmm. Mubarak, you know? Um, I don't know if you want to talk any about Mubarak or anything like that. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, the program that Chief Warriors was speaking of was we had a group of Saudi Arabian firefighters with us and um, I was fortunate enough to be selected as a mentor to one of the firefighters and uh, from the moment I met the guy um, firefighter Mubarak just a sensational person um, real down to earth just you know it was it was a, it was a life altering event for me because uh, you know, I've not, I haven't had much experience with, you know, a different culture or anything. I've grown up in in Woodstock my whole life. Never really traveled much outside of Georgia, and just to hear him talk, you know, it's amazing that as firefighters, we share the same core principles of yeah. outlooks. Doesn't life. matter where you come from. It, do, it doesn't matter. I mean, a a, a true honest firefighter. You know, halfway around the world, you could be, you know, anywhere you come from, you sit down together and immediately a brotherhood is formed. And it's, it's amazing, just the same core values that's presented. And uh, we had a great time. We hung out, you know, off duty. I actually took him down to my um, deer hunting lease. And uh, <laughs> bless his heart, he's used to temperatures in the 122-degree Fahrenheit range. Yeah, it was, uh, it was 22 degrees Fahrenheit that weekend. And the little buddy here actually saved his life on multiple occasions. But it was just so awesome to see, you know, him, you know, just to really enjoy and, you know, and appreciate the time that we were spending with him. And, yeah, he's that's what I've told him. I mean, I've, I've made a lifelong relationship with this gentleman. And, you know, we're going to stay in touch. And it's just amazing. I mean, him teaching me about his culture, uh, you know, showing me pictures of his family. It was just, it was truly amazing. It was a great experience. Well, and it, you know, he, <laughs> they came to, to, to get fire experience and to learn how the American fire service works just not, not just on scenes, but in, in the station and, and stuff like that. And I just, I was so, I don't know. It impressed me that they were here for something like that. That was such a big deal, uh, on a national stage. You know what I'm, you, I think you know what I'm saying. Um, but that they were here for it and could see how it, you know, talk to you and to talk to other people in the department and, and just, I, I don't think they get that, that's not going to happen in their department back home, you know. And on that same note, Bill, um, I know that the cab did something very similar locally, and it's something that should be considered around the country and for us specific in the metro area where the experiences that you have at the cab 
or any other department, City of Atlanta, Cobb County, uh, City of Roswell, all those experience, we share the same core principles. We're running some of the same calls. The volumes are a lot different. The cultures within those departments are a lot different and so on. I think it'd be a tremendous benefit to have that type of partnership where your local departments can right. share in that experience too. And I know you guys had something going uh, with that, but to to be able to go and share those experiences, and I know it gets very difficult once you start getting local because there's a lot of red tape and politics and all that involved, yeah. but putting all that aside, it, it, it would be as much of a benefit to myself, let's say, that right. than somebody from another country to come in and get that exposure to you know, a super high call volume, a completely different response area and that type of stuff. So I think, I know it's a huge benefit to them. I think that could be something that could be modeled where it could be a huge benefit to even the people that surround you in the area. Right. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, I mean, it, it, I repeatedly got the question from some of our folks that, you know, what benefit was it to our department? It was a huge benefit to our department. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the just the exposure to another culture, but to to see that firefighters are firefighters no matter where they're from. But uh, you know what you're talking about that exchange. You know, uh, Hatch, you guys were trying to kind of spearhead that. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I, I, that's an idea that I, I had and wanted to do, and it really kind of grew out of uh, Roswell. You know, the majority of sitting here at the table either work or worked for Roswell at some point, and by majority he means everybody but Bill. Yeah. <laughs> There's still hope for you. So we could probably get you over there. I don't know that. I don't know that y'all would let me in. <laughs> That's a good point. You have to actually be recommended. I don't know if we can get that done. Uh, but you know, the the whole thing is, is it's it's you know, great firefighters from all over the metro area, and we sit around and there's plenty of days where we just talk tactics or leadership or whatever, and we share with each other. And some incredible things have come out of it. You know, conferences, this podcast, all kinds of things have come out of that sharing. And I wanted to see, you know, just if, you, if you're if you not lucky enough to work for Roswell, you know, why shouldn't you still get that benefit of that? You know, right. so why shouldn't we go ride along, you know, take battalion chiefs and go ride along with the Cobb County battalion chief or, you know, or wherever. There's things to learn. Even like, just like Church said, even if it's not a busy department, uh, as far as call volume, you know, the cab doesn't need to come to Atlanta to learn how to fight fire. I mean, the cab's great at it. But there's things that they do differently, yeah. and we can learn from each other instead of saying, you know, we each have to recreate the wheel for our own problems. Right. We all share very similar problems. And, uh, you know, go run with a, or ride with a department that, you know, doesn't fight fire, but is really great on how they track their training or how they do their building familiarizations or whatever. There's so much we can learn from each other. Absolutely. No question. And we don't have to go to New York or Philly. I mean, those are great places, and I'd love to go ride along with those guys, but these are local talents. We, we do the same things. Right. So, Stroop, as much as uh, we've spent time talking about what, what we've done right, what you've done right, um, what would you say, and I know you're kind of limited to two departments with Roswell and, and DeKalb, but what would you say if there's one thing that needs work on in those departments tactically, what's that one thing that you've seen? No pressure. Can you get us down to one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, but he, well, but that's always the you know, and I, I mean, I teach a class where the the at the end you've got fifty things that need to change, and the point mm -hmm. is, is you can't do that. You've got to start with one. one. Yeah. So what's the yeah, one? Messy every, room. Yeah. Every trip starts with one. Exactly. It's a messy room. Yeah. You gotta you gotta put one thing away. What are you gonna put away? All right. We've delayed long mm -hmm. enough. What's your okay? Name? 
You're supposed to, just so you know, when, when you get asked questions like this and there's a camera or something, you're supposed to say, that's a really great question. I'm glad that you asked As you me. That's exactly. That's <laughs> that's your, uh, you know, that's that's why you're. Uh, Thanks for delaying me. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of this uh, deer that's about to be struck by the bumper look, it's yeah. <laughs> you know. uh, no, but I mean, is it? it do we wow. do we do water supply really? poorly do we throw ladders poorly do we you know do we need to, to work on stretching lines is it situational awareness that we need to work on you know all of that is 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 very good i think is what the biggest thing that needs to be addressed in the in the fire service nowadays is um i think the ability of fire officers and acting officers in charge for continued education and not be afraid to affect some sort of change. And I'm not even going to dive into the whole um, NIST and current studies and modern fire behavior stuff and everything, you know, that's currently taking a, a, a pretty decent sized debate in the fire service right now. But I think it can all be um, characterized as this. Some fire officers are so reluctant to change, and we need to start addressing that at an early at an early stage in in acting officer school or a new captain's class to not be afraid to affect change in your department and to not be don't don't feel like um, well I've got to do it this way because it's always been done this way um, you know currently you know in in the mark of any good fire officer. I really had a, um, a change in mindset when because I've been assigned to mostly heavy rescue companies and truck companies my career in DeKalb County. And only until recently was my only assignment on an engine company. And I really sat there. It was overwhelming for the first you know hour that I sat there at my office looking at the back of my engine thinking, okay, my, my goal here is to put fire out. So I had a... I had, a mind-altering, you know, hey, this is my job now as an engine captain. So, and also, too, I, I thought about, okay, I thought about times in my career when I've either had to go out a different way of a fire building than I went in or, you know, a, a situation that was kind of, you know, well, that was a close call. So I thought about ways that I could, you know, change that for my men. And uh, we initiated a policy on my engine company where uh, we do not stretch dry lines into a house. You know, that's there's communication, and we come up with our own system between the pump operator and the nozzleman if he's ready for water or if I've completed my walk around and got my action plan ready. Um, there's communication between the pump operator and the person on the nozzle, mm-hmm. and we come up with um, we're ready to set working pressure. So... You know, if anyone's listened to a DeKalb Fireground that we're first in on, you'll hear uh, Engine 7 tailboard ready to set working pressure. And what that does is it gives a charged hose line, gives the proper pressure. So there's none of this. And I know everybody's been on a fireground and been a part of, I need more pressure on the orange line. I need more pressure on this line. Immediately when that situation arises, and I'm inside, I know that there's a kink or a hole or a hole's been burned in the line. There's none of this. I'm not calling the pump operator asking for more pressure. I'm chasing kinks. So that alleviates a lot of, you know, because conf- I, I, that doesn't, when I'm 
going in on a fire and I'm hearing, I need more pressure on this line, I need more pressure on this line. That takes a person away from my crew because I look at my pump operator, which I have a, a great amount of confidence in, and I tell him to get in that guy's hip pocket. So make sure he's pumping that truck right. <laughs> you know, that I, I want to ensure, you know, right. water puts fire up. Right. So I, I think I've kind of went a long way no, no, around you, you of did. just saying that I, I think tactically, I think we're, we're very good. I think there's some... I think there's some other, you know, I, I do think on on the level of some some of the bigger fires that we've had recently um, that we that critiques. I can't say enough about critiques. You know, they're they're very good, um, but you know, some people have got to really, you know, look at. You know, did I tactically, you know, have have your big boy pants on enough to. To say that I probably could have did this a little better. If I had an opportunity to do it again, what would I change? Absolutely. If you as a fire officer cannot look at a scene and say there's something that I would have done different or better, I think you're very you're lying to yourself and you're being very dangerous. On that on that fire ground, there are a multitude of things that I I I think you know I could have done better. Um, And that's just me personally. I'm not throwing anybody else under the bus there. I strive, we talk about every fire. And there's always at least one thing that could could have gone better. But, you know, that's that's the thing. Is you've, it, that's what you strive for as an engine company officer or even a fire officer is to be the very best at your job. If you walk in, I know you're a battalion chief. Um, if you walk in a room... to hatch, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if the you, listeners couldn't see that. <laughs> yes. I'm used to TV. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have a face for radio though, so <laughs> I'm actually glad that I'm here. Um, but if when you walk and when you have a battalion meeting and you ask a question in your battalion meeting, um, and you say, Who has the best engine company in my battalion? Every single officer should raise his hand. Oh, I agree. If that officer does not raise his hand, that he has the best. Him? Oh, I'm sorry. No, not fired. <laughs> but Camera? that officer should be requesting time at the drill yard. You know, you. There, there's a difference in in arrogance and confidence. confidence. Yes. And I think every single fire officer should have confidence that he's got the best crew, that there's no doubt in his mind when he asks if something needs to be done, it's going to be completed. What is, what is I, and this is actually something I've put some thought into, but what is your opinion of the difference between confidence and arrogance? You just said what confidence is. What is arrogance? Arrogance, I think, is when you tear other people down. Right. When you say, I'm the best because this en- engine company X, they're a bunch of morons. They don't do this. They no. don't do that. They We're the best. And that's the difference in confidence and arrogance. Arrogance is you've got to basically belittle everyone around you to make yourself great. No, I confidence agree. is knowing that confidence. you don't have to say, I'm the best. Other people say you're the best. Confidence is saying, and this is just my but confidence is saying my abilities are good. Mm-hmm. I have good abilities. Absolutely. It has humility to it. Well, yeah. but I, I am confident in my abilities. Arrogance is when you say my abilities are better than yours. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's where, why, why does, why do, you know, I mean, well, it goes, either, well, why are we comparing? Either, exactly. Either yes. you're confident in your abilities or you're not. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. and it, echoing back to what Stroop is saying, I agree with you 100% that we need, you know, we need to be looking at the totality of everything that the fire service is offering and 
all the different trainings, although you know some of the theology doesn't match, we are so quick uh, often in the fire service to find every fault in what somebody's bringing to the table as opposed <clears throat> to taking that and going, well, that's, that's an, a, an A way of doing things. That is an option. Well, no way, you can't do that. And what needs to be happening, just like you're saying, is you know, the fire service has a lot of different theology and a lot of different strategies and a lot of different tactics for a reason. There's a lot of different places and a lot of different... It's a dynamic incident that we're getting into. So when somebody decides to take this choice this and stance. do this, whatever it may be, all you have to do is post that video or make that remark and then you're going to have all these critiques coming after going, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? That's re And we're very quick, unfortunately, without knowing the totality of what happened to knock it down versus going doesn't have the experience I've never caught a kid so if you throw that kid out of a window on me I don't know what my reaction is because that hasn't happened to me I hope that I can now through you know what he's enlightened me to do the same thing but I haven't well and you're also equipped to do the math now too so absolutely there's that which basically says <laughs> make sure the child is under 20 pounds <laughs> or your children don't, don't, will be don't throw it yeah, no, no, hey Stroop Stroop you, you talked about uh, setting working pressure Right? That's mm -hmm. what you do with your crew. Yes. You have instituted that at your station. You've affected change. Why haven't you, or have you, worked to say to the crews around you, here's what we're doing, and I think you should be doing it too? Or is it enough to say, I'm affecting change at my station, and the change, if it comes, can be collateral just in, you know... Shane, you, you did something on our shift. I, all right, it's a full-on chief question right there from Bill. <laughs> Sorry. And I, and I didn't let you answer the question. I was moving on. to But Shane implemented something on our shift uh, just because it was a good idea. And we didn't, we didn't look to the other shifts and say, hey, you ought to be doing this. But over two years, the other shifts have now fallen into doing it. And I'm not saying it was the right thing to do because it was an exceptionally good idea. Maybe we should have been championing it. But what's your opinion on that? Do you just affect that change in your station and say, this is what I can control? Or do you try and push it out? Here's, here's the thing. As, um, as uh, engine company captain, I look at buy-in from my crew. I get my crew to doing it very solid. And I, I mention it to, and it's funny that we say, you know, set working pressure. And the whole reason why we set working pressure because if someone on another engine company doesn't have no idea, you know, a, a, imagine tailboard guy floating in or is new. You know, I go out, work an incident, this, that, and the other, and it's ingrained in that engine company officer that he's going to start laying in. You know, so very well I could have, you know, a truck to a hydrant and my guy say, hey, I'm ready for water. Well, guess what? The guy at the hydrant could charge a hose bed. That could very mm -hmm. easily happen. So that's why we kind of come up with set work and pressure. So I kind of did announce it to the, my surrounding companies. And, you know, what's funny is I've since had guys, you know, leave Station 7. You know, they'll go out to their other stations and they'll talk about it. And, they're, you know, they usually get a pretty good bit of pushback. Hey, this isn't Engine Company 7. You know, just out of... But why? Why isn't it? I, why can't it be? 
Um, see, I think that's a perfect example of a leader. And, you know, we all have worked with Scott for years and, and know that he is. But sometimes leaders create paths for others to follow. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not always about dragging them along and making that change for them. It's just creating the path and then right. the ones that jump on board, it becomes a, becomes a movement eventually. And that's, I think that's what he's trying to work with. Yeah. You know, you started with your company, you start small, and now you've created that path for Yeah, right. yeah. and actually, yeah, uh, Larry Shaw, I think, was the guy that come up with the vernacular set working pressure because that's what vernacular it, well whatever man yeah, don't, don't pay attention that's, 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 that's very well right right. <laughs> that's, 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 that's that Cherokee little fist bump right there back the onion Cher- over there that's that Cherokee that. schoolhousing right there <laughs> 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 I look into yeah. Wikipedia to see right. exactly what that means that's, that cost Pa a whole donkey to get me to learn that word <laughs> so um, you know and that's that's the thing is is also as a leader is I don't want to produce robots. I want my guys to have buy-in. And, and, I, and you know, I met with them in the office and uh, that morning. And I said, look, guys, I want to start doing this because I want, my job is to make you safer than I was. I did some incredibly dumb things as a firefighter and as a young I mean, not, I'd say incredibly dumb, but, you know, things that now looking back that I've got the knowledge and... You'd like to change. Yes, I mean, I, you know, we've all, you know, Man, knowing fire fun. dynamics and stuff like this, you know, <laughs> everyone at this, at this table has been the same window, window pop away from being in Grady or, right. or Good right. Lord the funeral home. Right. And for me as an officer, to pass that knowledge down, you know, and, to, and tell the guys, hey, look, man, it's not, it's not about how much heat you can take, how much you can burn your borks up. You know, it's it's about being there for your kid's third birthday. It's about you know. Being able to fulfill your career, you know, and, and, and I'm not going to make any bones about it. We're in an inherently dangerous job. I mean, unfortunately, you can do everything you you can do by the letter and may not may not go home. But the, the thing of it is, is if you put yourself in the situation of consi- constantly training, doing everything you can do for your personnel, you can you can rest rest easy at night. You know that you've prepared your firefighters. It's like me now. I'm not at work now, but I have full confidence that my station is running perfectly. Well, I wanted to say the other day you were out, and I was listening to the radio going home. The working fire came out. Seven's on the scene first, and I hear one of them say, "Go ahead, I'm ready to set working pressure." And I thought he ain't even there, and they're doing it. <laughs> well, I mean, and I thought how awesome that was. And it's funny too because I bring that up a lot of times, and I ask people all the time, "How did you learn how to ride the seat? How did you learn how to to, to you know do things?" And it's because they mimic their officer. And so the more you take yourself seriously, is how the person behind you, you know, whether it's the engineer or the firefighter, they're, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to take it off your cues. So set working pressure. That's what he's learning and developing. I mean, he doesn't. There's no roadmap, really. I mean, we try to make it, you know, formalized, sure. but, but it's such a dynamic situation right. as we talk about. It's really what you go back to what you've seen before you over and over again on the thousands and thousands of calls that you go with, you know, in a career, you just start mimicking, you know, whatever they're saying. If, it, if the officer is poor at it and doesn't take themselves seriously, the guys riding behind them aren't going to take themselves seriously. Everything's going to be light smoke showing. It's got fire blowing out of everything. It teaches them also that I think it teaches those guys that you're working with that they can affect change. Absolutely. It reinforces the idea that, look, we did the design at our station. It was a great idea. Now I see other stations doing it. We can do other things. Mm-hmm. Because the worst thing in the world for me is to hear people think that they are just 
You know, they, and they, they end up saying stuff like, you know, well, here's the department bending us over again. Right, and I was going to go there because we had a conversation, and he said something too, and I wanted, I wanted to ask him specifically about, do we have we created an environment, or do we work in an environment where we can say, or we do believe, yeah, we can make a change by doing that, because we clearly may have saw where some people don't feel like that, right. or they don't feel like they have a voice, or they don't feel like they have the ability to impact our organization, and that is the last thing I want, is for us not to be able to change what needs to be changed. So I guess ultimately my question to you is, do you feel like that we are in a place where, or I feel like we do. I mean, we did stuff on our shift, just like you said, sure. where we clearly were able to make changes. And I think they were great changes. Right. I don't want people coming behind us, new people coming behind us, thinking they can't make change. I, I don't think that's true. No, and I, I think that y'all, that, yeah, um, like Engine, Engine 7, we currently run a uh, triple airload on our trash line. Um, that was something that, you know, we... You know, I, I presented it as a hose class to my guys. I saw the light bulb go off with my guys. I'm like, so what do you think if we do this all the time? And they're like, absolutely. But here, here's the really important thing about that. You know, I'm a, I currently work with A-Chef. B-Chef didn't come in the next morning and find a triple layer load in the trash line. What I did is I picked a day that I didn't have nothing else going on. I held over, drank coffee with the guys. And I said, look, what do you think about this? You know, and... I had class you with the guys. Them discovered on their own. We, we, we pulled it, and uh, you know, and the guys got buy-in. Um, we got buy-in from the C shift, and you know what? It's changed, and we run it now. And and that all came from looking at a better way to do do our task. You know, and we can get you know water flowing out of that line in eight seconds, versus the old way where it was you know three times longer. And that's, that's the thing, as, as an officer, or even as a firefighter, you're continuously looking for ways to be better at your job, to get it done quicker. You know, and that's, that's the worst thing that you can do as a firefighter, is just sit back and uh, say, okay, I figured it out, now I'm just going to go watch right. ESPN all shift. You know, and when you got the guys that can tell you how many passing yards the Falcons had last year, but they can't tell you how many feet of hose they have on their truck, that's a problem. That's a, that's a problem. So that's a very effective way of putting it. Too. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and that's every one of us at the table has a sheepish look on our face. Oh, uh, no, I don't have that passing yards. Of the Falcons, so. Oh, that's yeah. true. When the Falcons <laughs> give me water on the fire, then I'll be concerned about them. <laughs> but no, and and operationally, that that's. That's the that's the best thing about it is we feel I I feel in the cab that yeah I've got the I've got the leeway to do that with my engine company, you know and don't come do something really crazy where the next shift receives the truck, you know and they take a call at six thirty in the morning and they get on the scene and they have no idea what hose load is on the truck you know that's right. that's a problem, right. you know and I think that you know there definitely needs to be communication. Well, I think too there's a good point to be made there, especially with you. I think you're so well-respected in your department and you develop relationships to when you went to the other two shifts, you know, they took you seriously. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of times people don't worry about those type of relationships and their reputation and they want to make a change and it may be a great change, but it gets communicated wrong 
or you know they just do it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you really need to get that buy-in from the other shifts. I mean, it's Absolutely. your truck for one day out of three. Absolutely. You know, and, and so these guys that you know get that concept of well, I'll just make this change or I'll just rearrange the office or whatever it is. There are other people who are involved in that. You know, this is not your station every day. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a great, great uh, way to handle that. Is it time for questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's ask some questions. Oh, we yeah. didn't tell him about this. That's okay. <laughs> he can Sorry. handle it. He's a captain. Oh, yeah. Uh, can't fly. Uh, so are these, in honor of our fallen brother, uh, Frank Martinez, we all love him and miss him. These are the Frank Martinez slaying it questions. Uh, what is your favorite word or phrase on the fire ground? Well, that's a great question. My favorite, and I've not heard it in a long, long time, but um, the funniest thing I've ever heard on the fire ground that was just so amazing was, for the love of God, would somebody please put water in the attic space? <laughs> I was there. <laughs> For the love. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. What is your least favorite word or phrase on the fire ground? For the love of God, <laughs> somebody please put water in the attic space. Uh, engine or truck? Engine. Uh, what motivates you? Um, really, um, you know, what motivates me is just the opportunity that I've had to be a part of this noble f- profession. I mean, it's, I, I, I wake up every day thanking the Lord that I get to do what I wanted to do when I was two years old. And uh, honestly, my family and my coworkers motivate me a lot to keep up on my game. Uh, what's your favorite book? Leaders Eat Last. Do you know who wrote it? You know, and here's the funny thing. Okay. Simon Sinek. Sinek. I couldn't. And, and it was funny. I, I actually read the book. I read the book probably three, maybe, maybe it might have been about three years ago. But it was a very polarizing moment for me. Was uh, I just had an analogy? I had a moment in the state senator's office when I got some coffee, and I looked down, and I was drinking coffee from a styrofoam cup, and one of the one of the excerpts from the book is um, the author is the guy he's a um, secretary he's undersecretary and he's he's flown in to give a, a speech at a conference and uh, they have you know limos he never touches his luggage he gets some coffee and it's a nice ceramic cup a year later he's no longer the secretary he's giving the same speech same venue he asks for coffee they point him to the coffee maker and he's drinking coffee out of a styrofoam cup he said you know the the cup the ceramic cup was not meant for him it was meant for the position so you know and that really put things in perspective is all this attention that I've received I mean I'm so not worthy of it um, I, I've you know it's just great to to speak for the department but that's what it really hits you there that this is not about Scott Stroop catching the kid no it's about firefighters doing whatever it needs to be done and hopefully some recognition that will come to the fire service for that. Wow, I'm glad I asked that follow-up question. All I asked was who wrote it and we got all that. That was awesome. I'm actually a little little worried about the rest of the questions. Oh, no. Just kidding. Uh, What profession would you most like to do uh, if you weren't a firefighter? 
You know, I th- I'm glad you asked that question. That's a very good question. <laughs> I think a uh, fisherman would be a, a very either a uh, yeah 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 uh, um, spotted spotted trout fisherman in Lenark Village would be a very good career. <laughs> <laughs> Is that <a> profession? <laughs> I don't remember seeing if it's not, that it should the, be. Yeah. 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 I would have figured a, uh, an ambulance driver. That's been done. That high school test they give you, your guidance counselor gives you. I don't Did remember a spotted trout fisherman in Lenar Village. What's that underachiever? Yeah. <laughs> County Shack throw out there. Uh, I work in a lumberyard, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> if you're being introduced as a keynote speaker at FDIC, what song would you be introduced by? Stroop, there it is. Oh, there it is. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, at your retirement, how do you want to be remembered? Um, really, uh, I would like to just be remembered as someone that, that loved the job, respected the job, and uh, had a you know a genuine concern for for my fellow firefighters. Do you have a do we have time for a war story? You have a war story that you yeah. like to tell? Yeah. All the time in the world. <sighs> okay, and this is actually this is probably one of the funniest things ever. Um, I I was real fortunate. Uh, I grew up in DeKalb County firehouses. Um, I was I actually got a brief opportunity to work with my dad for a couple of years, and we were we were going to a fire. We were assigned water supply, and uh, we had this uh, reserve quint that was notorious for hose hanging up in the in the channels the host channels. So we're assigned to lay out. We're in the process of laying out. There's probably 100 feet of hose. You know, there's 150 foot from the back of the truck to the fire hydrant, and not a stitch of it is touching the ground. It's hung up. It's taunt. <laughs> well, all of a sudden, it flies around, and for some reason or another, me being the type of guy that would fall water skiing and hang onto the rope, <laughs> that's a very good analogy. That's what was going on. I, I just thought, hey, this would be a great idea to grab the back of that cup one and and let it drag hold, you. Hold on to it because I can get it out. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So as I'm being dragged down the road, here comes my father who was filling in on battalion four that day. He pulls onto the street. He's in the Crown Vic. He pulls up beside me as we're, we're dragging, uh, probably ten miles an hour, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, he rolls down the window. He looks at me and yells, what am I doing? <laughs> With a blank stare, I, I have no answer. <laughs> he just shakes his head and it's just like, yeah, there's no way he come from my loins. <laughs> you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't voice that, but that's the look I got. So he drives on, you know, doesn't stop to tell the Quint that they're dragging a second born child down the road. <laughs> he just whips around, you know, and then, you know, the driver looks back in the mirror thinking, oh God, there's more cars behind me. Sees, you know, I'm sure the sparks by now flying off my clips on my jacket. So they stop, they get the hose, I, I attach, get water supply, and I walk up to the incident where my dad's standing there. And uh, he just looks at me, shakes his head, and walks away from me. <laughs> you know, it's it's not a great you know firefighting story, but that's something that I'll carry with me. My, my that's life. actually an outstanding story. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine what that looked like. He was just rolling up the window. 
<laughs> well, he looked at us like that a lot, I assure you. <laughs> the glasses did, down. His dad was my officer, and I promise you, he looked at us a lot like that. <laughs> what are y'all doing right now? That's a great story. I want to say one thing before we close up. I've known um, Stroop for 25 years, and him and I started um, originally at Woodstock Fire. It's a shame, by the way. Yeah, it's a shame talking. And... Um, Stroop has been Stroop for 25 years. He has been passionate about this job from the beginning. I can remember when we were just baby firefighters, he was just like that. And he pushed us and pushed us to do better and do more. I appreciate you. I really do. So, Yeah, I second that, man. There's probably nobody I respect more than that. It's a pleasure to sit here and talk to him. And, and, and for him to get the recognition that is so well-deserved. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't happen to a, a better guy. You know, and a better guy for the fire service. I mean, you're a great uh, spokesperson for the fire right. service. Right. Absolutely. He's a champion for the fire service, and we all appreciate it. And you're going to be on TV coming up. Do we want to talk? Yeah, about yeah. Let's plug that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure of the air date um, of the uh, Harry Connick Jr. show. Cool. But uh, yeah, that was actually really good. They uh, sent uh, Captain Jackie Pecker and myself up to New York for. Oh, just a whirlwind trip, and uh, we got to go up there and actually meet Harry Connick Jr. And uh, it was it was it was really neat. They make you wear makeup. Actually, um, I would, you were. That's a that's really a good really question. question. <laughs> I'm glad you had me here today. Yeah. I gotta go. I mean, it, it got kind of weird with the eye makeup. <laughs> I think you guys are gonna like yeah. that look. So. Yeah, weird, weird because you kind of liked it, or uh... <laughs> I the fifth. <laughs> Yeah, All right. Hatch, you got anything else? No, 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 no. Am I running this thing? I didn't, really, yeah. I didn't know I was steering. I'm just off. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'll put the parking brake. Yeah, this, is, this has been a really, really great experience, man. This is Everybody a, out. a great way to spend a Saturday. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It is. It's the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm good, man. Just, thanks for listening. Thanks for Stroop. Taking the time out out of his busy uh, talk show schedule to uh, come and speak with <laughs> yeah. us. Yeah, I think it's the limo's here. I'm yeah, gonna have to. It's not leave. exactly uh, New York City. I mean, you know, all the planets aligned. All four of us are here at the same time. So yeah. That's also incredibly difficult to pull off at times. <laughs> uh, so, you know, again, uh, always uh, check out our website at uh, Combustible the Podcast. Com. <laughs> yes. Look at me like, are you gonna get this right? <laughs> or follow us on uh, on uh, Twitter. I'm uh, hatch at ctp.com. Or yeah, is it dot com? I guess it's dot com. At ctp. Yeah, I think it's yeah, hatch at ctp. Uh, Troch or Pavel. There's a Gosh, there's a going uh, debate on which one because yeah. he's got two and we. Oh, that's right. That's right. right. Just go to the website and there's go to the a, website. There's uh, bios on us, and down there it says how to get in contact. There's bios on us on the website. There's uh, ways to contact us on the website. You can t- send us emails for show ideas or comments. We love feedback from everybody. Um, there's also reading list from each of us Absolutely. On, on books that we think are important for you in your fire service career or just in life and leadership uh, at all. Uh, also. Um, what else? What other, what other little fun things can we have? Uh, can we plug here? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I really nothing. Yeah, 
think you covered. I mean, we could have an active debate. We have a Facebook page. Uh, rate us on iTunes. That helps us uh, yeah, get yeah, more listeners. Us. Yeah, yeah, we would definitely love for you guys to rate us on uh, iTunes. And how can they find us one more time, nice and clean? You can search iTunes for Combustible, the podcast, and it comes right up. It's a Motorola microphone, orange, you know. Right, right, right. Or CombustibleThePodcast.com dot com for the website. website. Which all of the all of the episodes are there as well, but we'd love for you to subscribe to us. That yeah. way, you get every episode. Send us show ideas or guests or, that you'd like for us to speak with or get in talk, touch with. That'd be great. Yep. Appreciate so, it. Right. Thanks for letting us use your house. Yep. Anytime. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye.